This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And here we go. Uh, last couple of days here of the program. Going to clean things up after a, um, I don't know if we'll call it eventful couple of days of free agency. There's been a couple of interesting things, and the latest ones today. Um, the Max Domi deal made official. Uh, it is one year, $3 million. Uh, Dylan Gambrell joins the Maple Leafs of the Depth Center as well, and Mark Stahl signs with the Philadelphia Flyers. For those of you who were wondering what the Flyers were going to do with their blue line, because it seemed like, I don't know, within a couple of weeks here, there's going to be no defensemen on the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Mark Stahl comes in on the one-year, $1.1 million deal. Uh, a couple of things we'll let you know. So coming up over the next couple of hours, uh, we'll speak to Corey Lavalette from North State Journal and The Athletics. So the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, one of the more interesting teams, let's just say. So it may have surprised many. But they re-signed both of their netminders. Freddie Anderson comes back, Antti Ranta comes back, and I know you're wondering, well, what does that mean for Peter Kachetkov? Are they really going to go with three goaltenders? I think we're saying that about a few teams right now, and we're saying that about the Carolina Hurricanes, but let's not forget, he can clear and go up and down, Kachetkov can. Uh, so you wonder if that's the, uh, the path of least resistance they go through. And let's be honest, the odds of Ranta and Anderson staying healthy next season for full seasons are pretty slim. Nonetheless, they bring in Michael Bunting. Uh, they bring in Dmitry Orlov on a uh, low-term big ticket deal. Uh, and they're very much in the mix for Eric Carlson, as are the Pittsburgh Penguins. And at, some, and at a couple of different points, so were the Seattle Kraken. But we'll talk to Corey Lavalette about all these things coming up in Hour 2. Luke Fox gets us caught up. Luke, of course, from sportsnet.ca gets us caught up on the uh, the latest in Leafland and what Brad Treliving was up to, whether it's Tyler Bertuzzi, whether it's Max Domi, whether it's Dylan Gambrell, whether it's John Klingberg, whether it's Ryan Reeves. And by the way, those Boston Bruins Toronto Maple Leafs games now with Lucic back in the mix with the Boston Bruins just become that much more interesting. Stan Kasten is going to stop by here in, uh, in about 25 minutes' time. So Stan Kasten is the, uh, the president of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So what's he doing on a hockey show? Well, one, uh, there's a hockey background there. He's a former president of the Atlanta Thrashers. But for the purposes of this conversation, he's part of the investment group looking to launch the new women's league, which gets underway next January. Um, and so this should be an intriguing conversation as that investment group last week, uh, last Thursday specifically, bought the Premier Hockey Federation, the PHF. Uh, we'll see how many go over. By the way, the PWHPA ratifying their first CBA yesterday. This is, by the way, to my knowledge, the first CBA done before a league has started. Let that sink in for a couple of moments. They have a CBA done before there's a single puck drop here. That's the first time that that has happened. Uh, we'll talk to Stan Kasten, president of the Dodgers and part of the ownership group as well, along with the uh, Mark Walter Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises, looking to bring a six-team league to fruition starting next January. So we'll talk to Stan coming up at the bottom of the hour as we bring in Matt Marchese, who uh, I'm impressed, Matty, you didn't break anything while I was gone in Nashville. No, didn't break anything. Um, I managed to get through the week. I still have a job, so uh, I think we're I think we're in good shape. Good I mean, you only have two days left, so uh, you can break something on the way out. 
Well, I'll drive the thing into the ditch. I mean, that's probably a, a given. Don't think I'll do it today, but there's a good chance I'll drive it and swerve it off the road tomorrow and take it into the uh, into the ditch. Um, but a few things from the weekend, and uh, again, like the Max Domi deal is official now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think we've been wondering about a Max Domi deal at some point, even going back to when he played with the Don Mills Flyers of the GTHL into the London Knights uh, of the uh, of the Ontario Hockey League and then into the Arizona Coyotes and all the other stops along the way for Max Domi. It, it always seem like at some point and there has been interest before I know there was some conversation between Chicago and Toronto around this year's trade deadline about Max Domi it almost seemed as if one day eventually it was going to happen that Max Domi at least for one season and this is a a one-year deal was going to end up with the Toronto Maple Leafs it is a one-year three million dollar deal I think the camp was in market looking for either a three- or four-year deal in and around the $4 million number. Uh, he settles with the one-year deal at $3 million. The show-me season, we'll get to Tyler Bertuzzi in a second. But your thoughts on Max Domi, a second-generation Leaf, playing for the Maple Leafs now? I I wonder if he's going to wear number 28. I think that's what everybody's wondering right now. But um, when, you, when you look at the move itself, and I was one of the people that was mm-hmm. clamoring for Max Domi to end up with the Leafs last year. Um, I know there's this there's this notion out there that Max Domi is this big physical presence and whatever. And, and Max Domi is not one that goes out of his way to prove that he's tough, but he's tough. Don't don't get that twisted. I think what he does is he gives them another guy that can create offense. And, and one of the conversations that was had in the playoffs, especially uh, in the series against Florida was they had a really hard time creating <clears throat> offense, which is weird to say, considering the guys they have on their team, but it gives them another guy that can play up the lineup. Um, and I, I think he's the perfect fit. I, I, I really do. And and what Brad living has done is he's gone out and he's made a splash without moving any of the of the core four that we kept talking about was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there's other moves to be made, but uh, a very interesting one in bringing in Max Domi that really, really gives them uh, some good depth up front. So uh, I look at what Tree Living did with two players specifically here with uh, with the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. One, Ryan Reeves. And, you know, part of the signing is the obvious one, looking for some, some bottom six muscle. Um, and as I mentioned... Lucic is with the Boston Bruins. And last time I checked, Tom Wilson uh, is still with the Washington Capitals. And uh, Ryan Reeves returns to the Eastern Conference. Uh, Over to you, Tom Wilson. Um, But I I look at a couple of signings here. One, Ryan Reeves, and the other, Max Domi. And to me, this is sort of a comment on how Brad Treliving sees the Maple Leafs dressing... uh, Excuse me. Sees the Maple Leafs dressing room. And... I wonder if the message is that that dressing room is too tight or too intense or like you look at someone like, excuse me a sec, quick drink of water. Um, You look at a team like the Dallas Stars where Max Domi went to. Now, the thing about Max Domi is he's a really outgoing personality. He's, uh, you know, the guy that enters the room and it's the big smile and it's the instant energy and all of that. And I was having a, uh, an exchange with someone over the weekend, and we were talking about Max Domi in Dallas and why that seemed to work so well. And this person brought up the point that it worked really well because Dallas is a really highly strung room. Like, you look at some of the key players with the Dallas Stars. Jamie Benn, super intense. 
Jason Robertson, super intense. Joe Pavelski, super intense. Miro Haskinen, kind of quiet and, and on his own. Uh, Ryan Suter, super intense. Like, there's a lot of, like, really tense, tight hockey players there. And then in comes Max Domi, who's completely unlike all of them. You know, skilled guy, to your point, has a little bit of toughness as well. Um, isn't shy out there. But he comes in and right away the mood around the room changes. Now, for all of you that are saying you don't make moves just for the room, you make moves uh, for the ice, I get it. They don't flood the room. I understand that. But it's a big part of what goes into making a room. And if you're... If your dressing room needs a release valve, you need to have players in there for that release valve. And part of that is Ryan Reeves, too. These types of personalities that in the dog days of late January, early February still make it fun uh, to come to the ring. So I I wonder, Maddie, if this is, you know, not just, okay, we're addressing a couple of needs here specifically, but also this dressing room needs something because right now it's either too tense or too flat. And the instant solution for Brad Tree Living is Max Domi and Ryan Reeves. And and let's not look any further than Ryan O'Reilly, who signs with the Nashville Predators, uh, a guy they brought in at the deadline, albeit it was under Kyle Dubas, but the reports are out there that uh, Ryan O'Reilly was offered the same amount of money to stay in Toronto, and it doesn't sound like he was super interested. So maybe, maybe this dressing room does need a bit of a shakeup and you know we talk about maybe guys like max domi and ryan reeves will take a little bit off of and this is more off the ice stuff because both of those guys are very media friendly too that's another thing that that should be discussed here as well and maybe they take a little bit of pressure off of those guys um i'm curious to see how max domi does in toronto from that perspective because his father as we know is a very beloved toronto maple leaf player during his time here and i mean ty domi was certainly not an offensive juggernaut when he when he played in toronto was known for other things but there was a big personality that went along with ty domi he was always a good skater no question about that so that's where i wonder about you know being a second generation toronto maple leaf and what kind of weight that carries i mean i can't speak to that i don't know but i'm very interested to see how that dynamic kind of works in toronto with max domi i'm i'm He'll be fine. That, He'll but be it's fine. just it's just curious to see how it goes because I, I can't remember a time, and, and you've been covering this game a, a lot longer than I have, I can't remember a time where a player has gone into a market where his father was, you know, such a big personality and, and such a big deal uh, and how they react to that. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that works out. He, I mean, he's grown up around all of it. Like, he's someone that still calls Matt Sundin on a regular basis for advice. Like, he's grown up in this world. This is the world that he's known. I, I that, that to me would be one of the least concerns. You know, how is he going to handle the, the, the spotlight of Toronto? Um, I, I, I think he's he'll be totally fine. It, it is an interesting question about 28 as well. I wonder how big the, uh, the Rolex needs to be to Sam Lafferty to give up the number. But uh, we shall see. Maddie Marchese, we shall see. Uh, you mentioned Ryan O'Reilly a second ago, and going back to Nashville last week and spending time uh, around the organization, you know, they wanted to do something big last week at the draft. And, you know, Barry Trotz, the new general manager, uh, has talked openly about the past couple of weeks and trying to put something together that was real big. And we know that they tried to move up in the draft. Like one of the, one of the, one of the reports, Maddie, 
was, um, or one of the, the whispers going around was that the Nashville Predators had offered a package of one of their first round picks along with Yaroslav Askarov, the, uh, the netminder, maybe the best netminder currently not in the NHL. I know there's some competition from other goalies, but nonetheless, um, to move up. Now, how high? I don't know. Would it be as high as four to the San Jose Sharks? Again, I don't know. But that's the level of, you know, splash that they were looking to make. So that didn't happen. Um, the buyout with Matt Deshane did happen on the podcast that I did with Elliot last night, which should be coming out soon. You know, Elliot mentioned that one of the things that he had heard was there was a prospective deal or at least a conversation around trading Matt Deshane to the Washington Capitals in exchange for Yevgeny Kuznetsov. Now, Trotz was with Kuznetsov winning a Stanley Cup, and you remember how great Kuznetsov was for Barry Trotz during that run. But Nashville wanted to do something huge last week. I mean, all of this sort of kicked off with the Ryan Johansson deal to Colorado. Um, and then we saw the draft and, you know, they, they pick up Tanner Mollendyke. Uh, I think that table was pretty upset that Gabe Perot went one before Nashville's pick. So the Rangers ended up with him. I think they're kind of bummed about that, but getting Tanner Mollendyke is still, you know, when you look at some of the comparisons after there about, you know, Duncan Keith, et cetera, you feel pretty good about getting that defenseman. But whether it's Ryan O'Reilly, whether it's Luke Shen, you know what I think about when it comes to Nashville from the weekend? Cody Glass. Now, Cody Glass feels like he's been in the NHL, Maddie, for how many years? Like, it feels like he's been around for 10 Forever. years. You know, that's how, how long we've been. Yeah, we've been talking about Cody Glass. But I can't help but thinking, you know, this is going to be an investment in a team now that is starting to turn over and they're going to start to hand the reins to a lot of a lot of younger players and we know that you know last season you know Tommy Novak made a huge impression on this team Luke Evangelista made a huge impression on this team um, and I think we're going to start to see more younger players. And if you're Cody Glass, you know, right now you're the second line center playing behind Ryan O'Reilly. How much of an investment is this in Cody Glass's career now that he gets to play with, be around someone like Ryan O'Reilly? Well, it's something that he hasn't really been able to get, right? And and last year, I, I thought Cody Glass was, was pretty good, but I still think that there's more to give here. And I, I agree with you. Having him play behind Ryan O'Reilly and kind of learn not only what it's like to be a really good player in the NHL, but learn what it's like to to be a pro. I I thought the additions that Nashville made were were shrewd ones. When you talk about the leadership qualities of Ryan O'Reilly, you talk about the leadership qualities of Luke Shen, and this is a the Nashville group is still a very young group, and and we all thought that when they punted on the season and traded away all their guys, our first thought was, okay, this team's going to go into the tank. And what did they end up doing was playing some of their best hockey when everybody was seemingly gone. Let's not forget, like they didn't have Philip Forsberg either. He was banged up and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot there. Um, So I, I think bringing in some veteran guys with this group was, was very important because the young guys showed that they could play. And I think that, you know, you have the goalie in place already, which is really important. And, well, I mean, it's greatly important, not just really important. But to bring in those guys to kind of shepherd this group that's coming through, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But also, Barry Trotz is, like you said, he's trying to make a splash and he's trying to put his stamp on this team. I feel like we haven't heard the last from Nashville yet. 
Like I still feel like they are going to try and do something like pretty big. I, I had, and the Matthew Shane thing, Jeff, and I, I know you mentioned it. That was, that was stunning to me because I never thought that that would have been an option with the bio. I talked to Robbie Stanley last week about maybe moving Matt Duchesne as part of a deal. And maybe that was something they wanted to do. Yeah. But I never thought a buyout was on the table. So when it happened, uh, very, very surprised in the moment. Well, um, new ownership coming in and Bill Haslam. So uh, I, I would imagine that not just with new management under Barry Trotz. And I still do think that, you know, David Poyle is going to have some type of influence. I mean, his son is still there as well. So there's still going to be a Poyle uh, with at least part of one hand on a wheel somewhere. Um, I, th- I think that they just wanted, I think they want to start to give this thing a whole new lick of paint and, and, uh, and, and turn the page on all of it. Um, and I think the big two that we are all wondering about, Ryan Johansson and, and Matt Deshane. And what it does, you know what, Maddie, you know what it does more than anything else is it shows you that as much as you think that you're in a corner and you can't do anything and you've painted yourself in, there are ways to get out of every single deal. It might be painful, might cost you either, you know, financially or with picks or with prospects, um, et cetera. Um, but there are ways to get out of your problems. It's just it's a matter just money. of how much you want to bite or not. It's just money. Just pull it off the tree, Matty. <laughs> These guys are all rich. Just pull some money off the tree. It's fine. Um, so about Deshane goes to the Dallas Stars, by the way. One year, $3 million. You know, interesting with uh, Deshane going to Dallas on the one year, $3 million deal. If you look at, now normally the way that things work for NHL players is, and we saw this with, well, Brian Suter, for example, um, with the Dallas Stars as well. What players will try to do is after they get bought out at two-thirds, um, what they do is they try to look for deals that will, quote-unquote, make them whole. So they'll take a deal at a very discounted rate, obviously, um, just in order to get back to their main level of compensation. And for Matt Deshane, he was looking for a three-year deal. Uh, he had to make, what was it, 46 over three years to be made whole. He signs a one-year deal at $3 million um, with the Dallas Stars uh, instead, which is interesting. Um, Was there a team that more than anyone else, and maybe the answer is Detroit because it was Justin Comfer along with volume, 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 but was there a team that that impressed you more than, than any other? Oh, boy. I mean... I, I mean, Detroit actually surprised me in a way that uh, they just added depth. I really thought that they were going to maybe try and, you know, bring in some stars. By the way, Philip Sedina is on waivers. Um, so that is a, another bit of news from Detroit. Yeah, they were, um, they were trying to trade him over the weekend. Yeah. The, the one, the one team that, I mean, the Leafs, the Leafs did a lot. Um, we know the hurt, the, the hurricanes for me was the interesting one just because, I really didn't think that they were going to bring back both goalies. I really thought, I actually didn't think they were going to bring back either of them because of the health situation that we saw last year. They go out and they spend Mm -hmm. a a little bit more on Michael Bunting than I thought. Um, I thought they got Orlov on a nice little ticket for two years, but they're still an interesting team because they've got to do something else. Like we, you know, Eric Carlson's name is out there and Brett Pesci's name is out there. Um, they, I wonder if they're still in on Tony D'Angelo after all of those conversations. But they are. Carolina's the team. Carolina's the team that stood out to me because there's still a Sebastian Ajo extension that has to get done here. 
or it doesn't have to get done, but I think they would like to get it done. I, um, I and think, that, I and think that's honestly, the team for me. I, I think, hang on, pa- 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 pause on that for one second. I think we're days away from Aho, an Aho extension being made, being or being announced. I, I, I have zero. I, I, I just won't even entertain the idea that they're, they're, you know, that they're, uh, that it's a question. It's as close it's to happen. or already done, and they're just waiting to, waiting to announce it. That's all. That, that's, yeah. that, that's going to be taken care of. The Tony D'Angelo deal. They have to wait until July 9th, which is a great day, by the way. They have to wait until July 9th <laughs> for that one. Wonder why it's a great day. Me, O.J. Simpson, and Courtney Love. That's <laughs> our birthdays. <laughs> You you and I have some very inter you and I have some very interesting actually if I'm not mistaken and I I could be wrong on this so you have you have Courtney Love I have Kurt Cobain I believe. you do not if I'm not I, if I'm not mistaken I'm gonna double check this now Jeff but I'm check pretty sure I'm pretty sure that yeah February twentieth nineteen sixty seven Kurt Donald Cobain was born so there you go. We were destined to work together, Maddie. Now I now I finally now I finally understand it, and have but a really Jeff, hostile just... relationship. Too. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but you know the the one thing that about even just free agency in general, it was such a yeah. There was such a varying degree of surprises. Like, you know, Fried was on with me on Friday, and we talked about Tyler Bertuzzi, and he says, I think he's looking for a long-term deal. And he says, watch him go sign a one-year deal, and then I look like an idiot. So he signs the one-year deal, and and I think it's a really – I think it's a – really good move for both the player and the team. But then I see, you know, the Anaheim Ducks throwing a bunch of money and term at Alex Kalorn. And I know they have to get to the cap floor. I understand that part of it. Jason Zucker gets almost the same amount of money as Tyler Bertuzzi does on a one-year deal with Arizona. Again, get mm-hmm. to the cap floor. There was yeah. just such a discrepancy. And basically nobody signed long-term deals. Like, did we, I don't think we saw a seven-year deal this time around. Um, and I understand. Uh, we it. saw players re- resigned for seven yeah, years, and we can but get I mean, to the Islanders UFAs. here in a couple of moments. But the UFAs were, you know, Comfort not was five. Yeah. JT Comfort was, was five. Corpusalo was five. Evan Rodriguez yeah. was four. But we didn't have the long-term deal, like the really long-term deal, which I'm not surprised with this class. But what it does when you add guys like Bertuzzi Miles Wood and got Domi, six. Miles Wood got Miles six. Wood did get six. Yeah, Miles at Wood a really six. nice cap number for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I'm it, it, what it does. What it does is really. And there's potential that a lot of these UFAs come off the board because they get extended. But what it does open up the door for is potentially another massive free agent class. And especially with the cap going up, this was kind of the buffer year before we see the long-term deals on July 1st. You know, to your point about Tyler Bertuzzi, and I'll talk to Luke Fox about this in hour two. Um, To the point about Tyler Bertuzzi, absolutely. This is a great... This is a, I don't even want to say it's a gamble. This is a great investment, I think, for Tyler Bertuzzi, provided he stays healthy. Like, he could, in another free agent year, he could play in a line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. You want to talk about setting yourself up for your next contract? It's pretty good. If you can stay there the entire season, all of a sudden you've set yourself up really nice as essentially the Michael Bunting replacement. 
And then you know what Tyler Bertuzzi does and how he plays uh, in the playoffs. We saw that. Well, we've only seen it a couple of times, so I should probably catch myself here. We saw it with the Boston Bruins last season, and we also saw it years ago, what feels like a million years ago, with uh, Grand Rapids when they won the Calder Cup. And he was by far and away the best player on the ice in those playoffs and rewarded um, as such. Um, you mentioned the Anaheim Ducks as well. So that's... Um, that's it. Just a quick note on the Ducks. So they also picked up Radko Gudis. Those to me sound and feel very much like Pat Verbeek signings. Like last year didn't feel like a Pat Verbeek team at all. This is starting. I think what we're seeing now is the, the warming of Pat Verbeek to starting to make this his team. You know, Alex Kalorn is really hard to play against. Radko Gudis, that, that story is well told. But Kalorn is a really miserable person to play against, as was Pat Verbeek himself. I expect to see more players, Maddie, like this going into Anaheim. I don't think it surprised anyone. They took Leo Carlson second overall. Um, uh, Mason McTavish up the middle there as well. Um, there's still some business to be done here. Trevor Zegras is still without a contract, and they're grinding away at a Troy Terry deal. Um, but it, it feels very much like this was the beginning, at the draft, that is, of uh, Pat Verbeek putting his, his signature and, and maybe, a better way to put it, his personality on this team. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. They didn't call him the little ball of hate for nothing. Um, he was nasty. And I, yeah. I agree with you bringing in those guys, but also bringing in those guys for veteran leadership that's a really young group and they really kind of lacked in that veteran leadership department they had some guys yes like cam fowler has been there kevin shattenkirk was there um but bringing in alex Kalorn, who has who has cup experience bringing in radko gudis who's like you just mentioned just nasty to play against i think that's part yeah. of the mo with with the with the ducks and and i agree i'm very curious to see what else they do because you said that you know the zegris deal and the and the troy terry deal still have to get done i'd be curious to see what those numbers come in yep. at too yeah you and me both um really quick before you wrap up here stan Caston on the other side uh i want to mention the islanders and I want to mention something real interesting about the Islanders. So as one person texted me on the weekend, the Islanders are Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> Nobody leaves the island under Lou Lamarillo. Pierre oh, Engvall, seven-year deal. Scott Mayfield, seven-year deal. Uh, Varlamov with the four-year extension. Now, Elias Rokin does an eight-year deal. I have about zero problem with that, 8.25. Uh, is the AAV there. It's a $66 million deal. But you know what? Someone texted me on the weekend, and this, and I, I, I looked into it, I'm like, this is blowing my mind. You know the last player to leave the Islanders for free agency was Derek Broussard? Wow. <laughs> Think how long ago that was. 2020, yeah. bud. Yeah. The last guy. Like, they... Have, Lou has his players, and he bets on them and locks them up long-term, regardless. Like, once he identifies them, it's like, that's it. He's my guy. I'm locking him up long-term. Derek Broussard, the last one to go on free agency, to leave the Fine. Islanders. It's Hotel California. It is. It's Fine. totally Hotel California. Find someone that loves you like Lou Lamorello loves his players. <laughs> 
And they still, I think they have like $1 million worth of cap space. They still have to do Oliver Wallstrom, and there's still not a decision from Zach Parisi on whether he's going to continue to play hockey or not. Something has to happen here. Oh, by the way, they've been rumored in the uh, the Brinkett discussions as well. Of course. So that may end up meaning a hockey trade. But, you know, as I was mentioning to Elliot on the podcast that's coming out here in a couple of seconds, you know the most, you know, the, the most impressive thing about all of it, Engvall, Sorokin, Mayfield, and Varlamov, you know, the most impressive thing about all of those signings were, Maddie. What's that? They all got announced. We didn't have to wait till September for <laughs> Lula Amarillo to finally, <laughs> finally put out a press release that they've signed these players and try to keep it a secret all summer long so, so he's not put at a competitive disadvantage um, by his, his salary structure. Um, okay, so here's how the show's basically going to work. Like We have a couple of guests coming up, Sam Kasten on the other side, uh, Corey Lavalette coming up, Luke Fox coming up, and then Maddie and I are just going to sort of bounce around team to team as we you know, go over what we saw on the weekend and the things that are on the horizon. By the way, Vladimir Tarasenko still without a team. Uh, you may look at this weekend and say, hey, what about Pat Kane? I'm told Pat Kane is not going to do anything or make any decisions until probably... November, regardless of how good you've seen him look on Instagram. Uh, I don't think that Patrick Kane's uh, going to be making any decision until next November or October. And I think we're still a couple of weeks away from any type of decision about Jonathan Taves uh, taking his time to figure out what he wants to do, come back for more hockey or call it a career. Uh, I'm told we're still a couple of weeks away from that one. If you're wondering about the two future Hall of Famers, um, ex of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, so that's the latest. More to come. Uh, Luke Fox still to be here. Uh, Corey Lavalette will come uh, come aboard as well in an hour or two. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to talk to Stan Kasten here in a couple of moments. Uh, Stan, um, longtime hockey fans will know him as a former president of the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, he's now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's a president. Uh, and part owner of the L.A. Dodgers, and he's part of the group that's going to be launching the new Women's League coming up in January. And a major hurdle has been cleared as that investment group, which is Mark Mark Walters, uh, along with Billie Jean King Enterprises, bought the Premier Hockey Federation last week. So now it is a single entity. And I guess one of the questions becomes, what level of involvement will the NHL have? In all of this, Stan Kasten, the great Stan Kasten, joins me in moments as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget, coming up at the top of hour two, Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca. More on the uh, the Maple Leafs and what they did in free agency over the weekend, which continues into today, where the Max Domi deal uh, was made official. Also, Corey Lavalette will catch us up on the Carolina Hurricanes, who are still very much uh, in the hunt and in play for Eric Carlson. Meanwhile... Uh, an absolutely uh, historic day last Thursday as the uh, Mark Walter Group, along with Billie Jean King Enterprises, purchased the Premier Hockey Federation, clearing the way for, as they're calling it, 
one league, which is uh, scheduled to begin next January. Uh, another note, the PWHPA uh, players yesterday uh, voting unanimously uh, to ratify their CBA, which I believe is the first CBA in history that has been done before a game has been played in their league. Stan Kasten is the president and part owner of the LA Dodgers, is also part of this investment team, which includes, as I mentioned, Mark Walter Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises, and is very much a driving force behind all of this. Stan joins me now. Stan, uh, good afternoon. I suppose it's good morning where you are. Thanks so much for doing this. How are you today on, on this Monday? I'm great, Jeff. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks. Uh, the, the pleasure is mine. Um, f- first of all, let's let's just as we catch our listeners and viewers up on what the very latest is. I tried to give a little snapshot there. I have a, a a historic moment on Thursday when it was announced in a couple of different town halls. It was a PHF town hall and a PWHPA town hall, which which you were part of, where it was announced that your group had purchased. Um, the Premier Hockey Federation clearing the way for something that, you know, all these athletes have been fighting for and, you know, staying away from the PHF for for a number of years, and that is the one-league solution to all of it. The question becomes, you know, how because this was kept very secret. I have to, on the one hand, I don't like it, but on the other hand, I do have to commend you. Um, <laughs> how long were these discussions ongoing? Uh, first of all, first of all, nothing makes me prouder than to keep things secret <laughs> or, or the word I like to use more appropriately is private. And, uh, I think privacy yeah. helped both, uh, both projects along. And remember, these were two separate deals. The first was, uh, talks we began with the PWHPA more than a year ago. I got involved yes. about six months ago when Mark came to me and, asked me to take this on, and we've been at it. Uh, collective bargaining is always a challenge, um, uh, but more so when there's a blank slate, when you have to do every little thing from scratch. Usually collective bargaining is coming on the heels of an expiring agreement or a relationship you already have with the union. This was different. So we really had, you know, every single word in every single paragraph over 60 plus pages had to be discussed Mm -hmm. so it was lengthy it was time consuming i cannot say enough about the uh uh the women on the pw negotiating committee Uh, i mean they were great starting with jana hefford who was just kind of overseeing it but but kendall coin schofield and hillary knight and brianne jenner and sarah nurse and liz knox uh they were there at almost every meeting, and I know they had meetings without us involved. Uh, uh, they did a fantastic job, considering it was their first experience with it. Um, it's, uh, it was, you know, I've done many of these, and I have come to hate them all. But these women didn't yet know how excruciating, <laughs> how excruciating the process is, and how contentious it can be. Um, Uh, Mm. But I did tell them there will be times when it gets contentious. But once we're done and we're all back on the same side of the table, it's going to be great. And that's exactly how it has been. Once we uh, concluded our deal, which was a week ago, and now to see that it was ratified, that their work for their colleagues that took, you know, more than six months was ratified and ratified unanimously, that's. Uh, just yeah. icing on the cake for me, and it's a sh- 
tremendous compliment to the work that the PW negotiating committee did. Um, uh, the the deal to purchase the uh, the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation. Um, this is an interesting one because it, it you know to to use a loose term, it clears a hurdle here. You know, and and the one of the main hurdles is that single league. You know, the the one league as they're referring to it, and that you know that does open the door for you know uh, negotiation with the NHL. Commissioner Gary Bettman has always maintained that, you know, he doesn't want to choose sides when it was the PW with their showcases and the PHF running their league. He didn't want to decide one or the other, uh, didn't want to get involved, uh, you know, uh, uh, choosing which one to support, um, has always maintained he'd be amenable to doing something uh, should there be a coming together of the sides or a purchasing of one side by the other. And clearly that's happened now. Um, a, have there been conversations with the NHL? And B, where are we at with the NHL and this new entity? And where do you see it heading? Well, you know, one of my very first calls um, was to Gary uh, when I uh, when we received the news that uh, we had signed the deal to buy the PHF. I called him and told him, look, we have just completed collective bargaining. We are buying the PHF, and uh, our vision is to have one league where all the best players in the world from any source, from PW, from PH, from international, from collegiate, any source is going to play. This is going to be that league that does it. Now, he had heard this many times in the past. It never happened, so I was very proud to make that call to tell him we're here. We've done it. He immediately responded enthusiastically. Uh, he can't wait to get started with us. I have to tell you, to his eternal credit, he has already had his people uh, working with our people to ensure a great future for all the best uh, women players of hockey. I think it's going to benefit women players. It's going to benefit our league. I think it's going to benefit the NHL. So this is a win-win-win all around. And I have to say, Let's be mindful of ownership of the PHF who recognized what we all recognized. We all were aligned in what we eventually wanted. Everyone wanted, everyone wanted one league that would be a home for mm -hmm. all of the best players in the world. And I think the PHF uh, ownership recognized this would be the quickest way and the best way to make that happen. And again, I cannot say enough about them. And, and their spirit, mm. because they are passionate about hockey. They are passionate about women's hockey. And I think they recognize this is the best result for everyone. So it has been win, win, win all around. And we cannot wait to get started. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a, um, as we all know, and I'm talking to Stan Kasten here, uh, a long background in sports. Hockey fans will certainly know you from your time. Uh, as the president of the Atlanta Thrashers, uh, anyone listening on our Toronto affiliate will recognize your voice from primetime sports with, with Bob McCowan. Uh, you were a mainstay on that program. Uh, we all know <laughs> your work now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And um, I, I'm curious, you know, what is different? What is unique? What have been your experiences and takeaways from, from doing this in the women's space? Well, um, this, you know, I've done bigger deals, I guess you could say. I mean, let's start with the Dodger deal, but I don't know that I've done anything which is more complicated with more different moving parts. Remember, we started with a blank piece of paper, and we have to create a league, 
and we have to create a number of teams, and we have to go find cities and names and logos. And then we have to do a collective bargaining agreement with people whom we did not know before it started. And we have to start from a blank page there, too. Uh, and then halfway through the process, when we decided we would try to also buy the PHF, we have to do all of that while keeping all discussions with all the different parties private. That was complicated, Jeff. So, so I would say I don't know that I've ever been involved in a deal that had so many uh, complexities to it, but that just makes the end result even sweeter because now we have, again, a win-win solution for, for all of the best players involved, and hockey fans will be able to see the fruits of our labor very soon this coming January. How much would you have, whether, I mean, I don't even know which issues they would be consulted on, but how much would you consult with the athletes themselves, whether it's, you know, recommending, you know, which cities to play in? Um, I, I don't even know where to begin with, with other issues, but how much would, the, would you rely on the feedback from players themselves in the PW? Well, I, that's one thing I'm really proud of um, uh, because I didn't come into this with already a warehouse of, of hockey personnel. I leaned on the players as my hockey experts. I leaned on their leader, hmm. Jaina Hefford, and all the people on the negotiating committee uh, to talk about the things you're talking, to talk about the cities, talk about the venues, to share their experiences with me on where we thought we might be more successful quicker um, we're talking about rules. We're talking about the draft. We're talking about procedures. I will tell you there was another such call as late as last evening, and that is how we hope to run this league. I think we've built into our CBA a, the formality of constant updates and constant uh, 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 collaboration across a range of issues. So, uh, And I think now we have developed – a very good relationship with this uh, union. So I, I am confident that relationship is going to continue. And that collaboration, which is now formalized, will always continue as well. Um, when you look for uh, and have had discussions about cities, um, well, we, what, we have been working. Uh, we have been working on that. We, we, we have been working on that for uh, several months. Mm -hmm. and uh what are some of the things that what are some of the things stand that, that that go into that like what do you need from a city obviously a, a certain fan base maybe a history with the game what do the venues need to be like like what what's the sort of how many different boxes do you check here for for each prospective city uh, uh many many and the analysis for every city can be different some are larger cities with bigger hockey fan bases some are smaller with smaller but passionate fan bases. Some cities have a real history with women's hockey. Others do not. Some venues are available, but they may be too big. Others may have venues which are too small. So we're taking all of this into account. I will tell you this. There are enough good cities that we can already look to our future and look to expansion eventually across the country and maybe even someday internationally. So um, we have to uh, mm. start slow, get our proof of concept right. I have told uh, our players at the PW, and I told them this in my first meeting with them, year one, I am going to make mistakes. 
I hope our fans remember that. Year one, I am going to make mistakes. We will fix those mistakes. But grow with us. I'm speaking now to the fans. Grow with us. All the players that will play in next year's league, I am incredibly impressed with. They deserve your uh, your passion. They deserve your fandom, whether wherever they came from, where, whether they came from PW or PH or International Collegiate, et cetera. If they are in this league, they are the best of the best, and they deserve your support, and I think they will prove that very, very early in our season. Stan, really quickly, before I let you go and, and get on with what I'm sure is another busy day in the in, in the life of Stan Kasten, um, how will each franchise work? Like We know the investment groups involved here to get this thing off the ground, but how does it work then with each individual franchise? Will they each have their own owner? I mean, we've seen situations, whether it's in the NHL, you know, 67 expansion, you know, floating a team for a year. We've seen that in the NHL now with the Arizona Coyotes and a couple of previous incarnations as well. How will the how will ownership work for this league? Well, we will give you a lot more details when we have our official launch in, you know, I keep saying 30 to 60 days. It'll be somewhere in there. Um, But what I can confirm is this is a single entity. We own the league. We own all the franchises. We hope to avoid a lot of the problems that come with one franchise not liking another franchise or one owner not liking another owner. We won't have any of those issues to start, and we think that mm-hmm. is the quickest and best way to make a league that is all all the uh, people are, are rowing in the same direction. And uh, that's our plan. Does it change someday? Are there individual owners someday? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but, but we certainly don't need to change the model. But for right now, we're all going to be operated centrally in the best interest of this league and in the best interest of all of the cities in our league. I don't think this is the last time we will speak. Stan, it's, uh, it's a delight. Um, thanks, as always, for, for your time. I know you're very busy. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way with the Dodgers, and, and best of luck the rest of this summer with, uh, with this fantastic enterprise. Like, I think everyone's pretty excited about this and getting it started in January. I know there's still a lot of heavy lifting to get there, but uh, there's a lot of good people on the job. Stan, thanks so much for well, doing this. Well, thank you, Jeff. I know you have spent a lot of time following this. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't say anything to you until this past Friday, but uh, but now that you're on board, stay on board. Talk us up because the players yeah. in this league uh, will deserve that. Thanks again. Uh, they do. Um, Stan, thank you as always. Much appreciated. Stan Kasten is the president and part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he's part of the investment group, um, which includes Mark Walter Sports Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises um, that are working in association with the PWHPA, which is the union representing the players for this new league, which is scheduled to launch in January. And and coloring in some of the details that um, that we've heard, um, it, it sounds like this will be a situation where play, it'll be six teams uh, to start, I believe three in Canada, three in the United States, at least to get going. Uh, players would show up at training camp for November. There'll be a little bit of a Christmas break and then come back in January. 
uh, will where they will start their league. Um, and as I mentioned, the CBA was ratified uh, yesterday uh, by the PWHPA members, and this is the first time that a CBA has been completed before the sporting event has begun. So this is historic uh, for a lot of different reasons. And as I mentioned off the top as well, like this is what, you know, Jaina Hefford, and Jaina's going to be on the show tomorrow. She can say in her own words, this is what she's always strived for. This was the plan. This was the model. Um, has it taken longer than expected to get there? Yeah, probably. Um, but there's a lot of PWHPA members that have sacrificed a lot to get here. And that's not to disparage anyone who decided to go play for the PHF and, and get paid, and that's fine. But the, the ones that have, that have stuck to this vision, um, you know, the PWHPA members, you know, I spoke to one on, on Thursday when all of this became apparent. When I got back from Nashville, I got a text saying, get your ear to the ground, this is happening uh, right now, you know, one person I talked to said, you know, when I when I found out about this and was told about this, you know, I break down, I broke down crying, because this is what they have been looking for, fighting for, um, you know, not compromising for. I mean, there are a lot of steps along the way where members of the PWHPA just could have said, you know what, this has been a long time. I don't know if this is going to work. Let's just take the, the the best deal we can possibly get here and 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 just move on um i gotta hand it to those athletes i, I really do like they really stuck to their guns where there was no guarantee of this future there is no guarantee about this one league and there are a lot of players that sacrificed a lot of years of their career and i'm i'm gonna say there are some as well that have aged out because of it you know, there are some that fought for this that will never see the fruits of this labor. Or there were some that fought for this that, it's a harsh reality of sports, aren't going to be good enough to play in this league, at least at the beginning. But they still did it. And I think these athletes should certainly be commended. Um, this is what you want a union to do, right? Decide your issue, figure out what's right, dig your heels in, and swing and battle. That's what they've done, and it's there. Next January, this league will begin. And as I mentioned, CBA has already been ratified. You just heard Stan Caston already talking, already talking about expansion. I love Stan Caston. <laughs> they haven't dropped the puck yet. The CBA, the ink on the CBA is barely dry. Stan Caston's talking about extensions. Talking about what's going to happen next, an expansion. We'll start with six, but then we're going to get to eight. We're looking at 12. I love casting. Already looking at expansion. Coming up, hour two. Luke Fox talking about the Maple Leafs and Brad Tree Living's moves over the weekend. Merrick Show continues. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we will uh, catch up with Corey Lavalette from The Athletic covering the Carolina Hurricanes. What the very latest is there as they bring in uh, Dmitry Orlov, as they bring in Michael Bunting, as they are one of the teams in pursuit of Eric Carlson, the Pittsburgh Penguins being the other. Um, by the way, there was a time where Seattle was very much in that 
one, they had the desire, two, they had the cap space uh, to make it happen, but it sounds like that ship has sailed. Um, so it may just be coming down to two teams now if Eric Carlson is going to get moved. And the big question is, if he does get moved, how much salary did the San Jose Sharks eat in order to make that happen? It's a big difference between being a $11 million hockey player and a $9 million hockey player or an $8 million hockey player. He's got four more years left uh, on that contract. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs making headlines over the weekend. Um, and I kind of brought up the point that it might be more of a comment on the room than anything else. Uh, but Brad Tree Living uh, starting to put uh, his fingerprints on this thing. And I think we're all wondering about, okay, uh, all these players have come in now and there's still some business to do. And uh, is there going to be room still for the guy that wears 88? Uh, maybe with that answer is Luke Fox uh, from sportsnet.ca who joins me now. Luke, how are you? I'm doing well. Just, uh, Trying to keep my head from spinning from all the news of the past 48 hours, but on time to be a hockey writer. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's been a lot, right? The the, the main thing is like the the main skill you have to have is the ability to uh, to see things and organize them quickly. And the the one thing that you know when I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and two players stand out uh, initially as maybe there being more to the signing than what may be there at first glance. Max Domi and Ryan Reeves. And I look at these two signings and I say, is this a is this an acknowledgement from Brad Tree Living, the new general manager, that the room needed something? That maybe it was, you know, like Dallas, really tight, really tense, and this team needed some type of a release valve, for maybe lack of a better metaphor. Are you on the same page with me on that one, Luke, or are you at, at loggerheads? I I think these two signings, outside of what they bring on the ice, but these two signings may have been more of a comment on the room than anything else. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you a quick story. There was a, a practice kind of late in the regular season, and someone who works for a Western Conference team was at, Scotiabank and we were just sitting in the stands watching the Leafs do their morning skate and uh, he turned to me and said are they always this quiet is this what practice is always like and I said yeah kind of um, you know they're, they're, it's a it's a good group you know they profess to, to love each other uh, but it is a quiet group um, and you know part of that I think stems from their captain John Tavares is a fantastic lead by example guy you know his work ethic is off the charts uh he's consistent but he's not a raw raw guy and it was very telling uh that when they made the deadline deals how sheldon Keefe would you know speak um in in big terms about how great luke shen and ryan o'reilly were how much chatter there was on the mm -hmm. bench all of a sudden uh the occasional time where wayne simmons would get in the lineup one of the big things that Keith would say is our bench is louder when he's on there. Now, ultimately, you know, he couldn't play and he was scratched in the playoffs. Uh, but there's certainly uh, a group that is crying for that element. Uh, I think with the additions they made, Domi, Bertuzzi, Reeves, uh, we're not going to see so many um, scrumless games. You know, you go through the 82-game grind, and there were so many nights where the Leafs wouldn't even get into a scrum. And, and I think... A Bradtree living team wants a little more of that edge. Uh, you know, you look at his Calgary teams, they always had guys willing to, to muck it up and, uh, you know, maybe be a, a little bit dirty, a little ratty, a little on the line, uh, 
And the other thing is the, the Leafs notoriously uh, don't draw a ton of penalties and don't take a lot of penalties. Um, so maybe that's a reflection of, of just the, the type of player that, that Kyle Dubas had preferred. Um, I really like the, the deadline additions he made. Those guys all walked out the door. So this is Trey Living trying to bring a little bit more of that edge into the lineup. Do you know if um, if the Maple Leafs have a tarps off? This is their HR department. That would be. Do they have a tarps off policy? I'm wondering about Ryan Reeves's first interview on Hockey Night. <laughs> well, there's occasionally Willie Nylander will go tarps off in front of us, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's more of a reflection of how proud he is of, of his body. Uh, let, let, let me get into Ryan Reeves here with you. Know, I want to go through some of the other players, and we'll get to Max Nomi here in a, a couple of seconds and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and, and John Klingberg. Um, you know, there was a, there's, a, there's a great story where Ryan Reeves is talking to one team when he was a free agent, and he said to that team, you have a Tom Wilson problem. I'm the solution to your Tom Wilson problem. Uh, Ryan Reeves is back in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Tom Wilson still with Washington. Milan Lucic makes his return to the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers have Nick Delorier. Uh, the Islanders have Ross Johnston. Uh, it seems as if you know a lot of the sluggers went from west to east in the last couple of seasons. So should it be surprising that the Maple Leafs went out and got a gunslinger of their own? No, it shouldn't be surprising. And I know that actually Trey Living has circled Ryan Reeves as a guy he's wanted for years. Uh, he tried to get into the flames at one point. I'm not sure if it was uh, in free agency or one of the trade deadlines or both, but I, I know that mm-hmm. he's coveted this, this player for a while. So no, it shouldn't be surprising, but I, I love the fact that already I, I found the, the Toronto-Boston games to be the best games of the regular season, the most hate, the best crowds, uh, the most history, recent history with, with this core in particular. So to add Lucic back on one side, have Bertuzzi, like, you know, turn tail and, and join Boston's fiercest rival. Like, I, I don't know if you follow any Boston fans or reporters on Twitter, but oh, yeah. uh, they, they, they felt a way about Bertuzzi kind of the way, you know, Leaf fans are talking about missing Shen and, and Achari and, and O'Reilly in particular. So uh, there's just more spice added to that that tilt. And uh, I would not be surprised to see Reeves and, and Lucci square off at some point next season. What is the expectation for someone like Ryan Reeves? I mean, cynics may look at it and say, well, he's going to have a hard time staying in the lineup. He won't play in the playoffs, et cetera. He's not as a, as if he's, you know, 25 years old and foot speeds uh, is an issue here. And, you know, it's great that he's a great guy in the room, but they don't flood the room. Uh, what do you think the expectation is for Ryan Reeves? Well, by his own admission, we talked to him yesterday. His expectation is, is to play eight minutes a night. Uh, it is also to unite the room. He's like, I don't know. The only person he knows coming in is uh, John Klingberg mm-hmm. uh, because he was a deadline rental for Minnesota. So he's like, I actually yeah, don't Minnesota. know a lot of these. I don't know these guys. But uh, what I do know is you can't have clicks in a healthy dressing room. He said all the successful teams I've been on have been the close teams. He's like, I'm the guy. I'll plan dinners. If you don't want to come, too bad. I'm grabbing you by the collar. You're coming to dinner. I'm going to walk in there, even though I don't know these guys, and start chirping them right away. Uh, you know, it's going to be a noisier room, a more more boisterous room with Ryan Reeves in it. He's a confident guy for a guy who plays fourth line minutes, and he doesn't expect to play further up the lineup. 
But I think the trick is, and I don't think year one will be a problem. You know, he's saying he's devoting himself to his skating and, and trying to keep pace. He realizes uh, he can't just be all muscle. He has to maintain his speed. But the trick will be, uh, can he play? Because you can be that guy, but if you're not in the lineup. I mean, Wayne Simmons was a great team guy, but eventually he wasn't in the lineup. Yep. So that that would be the concern in year years two and three of the deal in particular. Uh, but he seems very motivated to try and stay in shape and try to keep up. I, yeah, I mean, do you want him on three years? No. Uh, Trey Living said as much. He'd prefer it short. But uh, if they didn't go that extra mile, they wouldn't have got the player. He probably would have just re-signed in Minnesota because they liked him there. Mm-hmm. So the days of uh, 23 players and 23 Ubers at the end of the, the game or the practice yeah. are, are coming to an end if Ryan Reeves has anything to say about it. Well, what do you make of the Max Domi deal then? Like Max is, you know, Max was in the marketplace looking for either a three or four year deal. Um, you know, really found a home in Chicago, was really good there. They moved him at deadline and, and found a home almost right away uh, with the Dallas Stars. And he helped uh, the room a lot. He helped on the ice a ton. Uh, as well, they were looking for something at the three or four years in the four million dollar range. Uh, it gets down to a one year deal, uh, three million dollars. How do you look at the Domi deal? Because I have a hard time believing that this isn't, you know, much like Tyler Bertuzzi. This is the the one year show me deal, you know, sort of an audition for the next contract. Yeah, absolutely. I think the irony here is that he just took a one year show me deal uh, to audition for yeah. the next contract. And he didn't even get a raise. He was making $3 million bucks on a one-year last season, had one of his best seasons ever. I think statistically it was the second-best season since uh, uh, you know his prime with the Montreal Canadiens. 20 goals, goes on his deepest playoff run of his career, uh, You know, certainly proved himself to be worthy of, of a multi-year deal. It wasn't out there at least with a contender. Um, you know, you got to think that uh, yeah. his taste of, of the, the semifinals um, probably made him realize, yeah, do I want two years with a team that's not going to make the playoffs or do I want one year with a team that is pretty much guaranteed to make the playoffs? Also, big market, it boosts your value, boosts your profile, uh, and then you tie in the fact that, you know, he's hanging around Father Ty at, at, at when he, during his Maple Leafs prime uh, and there's some emotional roots at play. And... The other thing is that he knows Trailing. Trailing was on the Coyote staff as a AGM when Domi was drafted into the NHL, and then he played with Marner. There's there's so many connections there. It just makes a, a lot of sense for the team and for the player. Um, you know, do do I think he's going to stay beyond this year? I, I I think that's like let's see how it works out. Let's see how it goes first before we we commit. At the very least, if he shows well, he's playing around good players. Uh, it'll just boost his next contract, and the timing is perfect for him and Bertuzzi because the cap's going to go up probably five percent. What's the? Uh, do you know what the going rate is to switch numbers? Like, what's the going rate for a number <laughs> these days? I'm thinking of Sam Lafferty here. A, Ro- a Rolex? I don't know. Uh, I know uh, Jake, <laughs> Luke, Luke Shen uh, talked to Jake McCabe when they first joined the Leafs, and McCabe gave it yep. up for free. He gave it up for free. Uh, he just did him a solid. So. I don't know. I think it depends who you're negotiating with. Uh, very well. It depends how, how, how big your bank is. Uh, what do you make of the Tyler Bertuzzi deal? Like there were, there were teams here at Boston, you know, tried to clear the decks to, to try to make room for Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, they loved him from pretty much the get-go. He did, like I got to say, he looked like a Boston Bruin. 
and played like your stereotypical Boston Bruin. I thought that they were going to, you know, whether it was, you know, make a move with uh, with, with Linus Olimark maybe to help clear the decks here and, and keep Tyler Bertuzzi. They wanted Bertuzzi. They wanted Hathaway. They didn't get to keep either one of them. Um, and the market for Bertuzzi was interesting. You know, Dallas wanted Bertuzzi going back to trade deadline. Uh, I think the door was still open there. Um, there were other teams that we, we heard that were interested in, in Bertuzzi, but it kept swinging back to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think it kept swinging back to this, you know, the question, do you want to play for Toronto? And if so, here's what they have available to you. It looks like Bertuzzi is in a great situation to really set himself up for the next contract. So if he's in the Michael Bunting spots, then he's playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And Luke, I don't have to tell you what that could mean heading into another free agency period. Yeah, how enticing is that? I mean, as long as you have some hands, and he certainly does, and as long as you, as you stay healthy, that's a bit more of a question mark considering his recent history with, with back issues and, and some other things. Uh, you're going to pile up the points. That You know, two years ago, that I, you could, you were debating whether – the bunting Matthews Marner line was the best in hockey or whether it was the Gaudreau Lindholm Kachuk line in Calgary. It was basically between those two as the best line in hockey. All of a sudden Bertuzzi slides mm-hmm. in there in all likelihood, or at least well, he'll have a shot to uh, has that edge. Doesn't have the, the reputation bunting had uh, towards the end of his leaps tenure with the refs, which wasn't a great one. And, has some hands and should be highly, highly motivated again on, on a one-year deal. Didn't get the, the term he was searching and he's playing for a contender. This is fantastic. Um, you know, from Boston's point of view, I, I know that Don Sweeney loved his rentals. It's just, he's prioritizing the youth. You know, he still has to come to terms with his RFAs and, and Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick. Uh, so he had to set some money aside there. And then he jumped at, at some, you know, bargain deals on day one of free agency Trey leaving was a, a little bit more patient um so maybe it's a little bit of good luck and maybe it's a bit of a shrewd play on on Trey living because he was getting roasted after day one of free agency and all of a sudden day two he's the champion of the world so mm-hmm. i think this is a i think it's a perfect deal for both the team um and, and the player you know the team doesn't uh bring on a, a ton of risk with an injury prone player and committing term to him you see how it works and if they do love the fit like if Matthews and Marner are loving playing with the guy and if he's healthy, I don't see why they wouldn't. You could extend him as early as, as January 1st, knowing that the cap is, is going to spike a little bit. You know, it's um, it's interesting because Kyle Dubas, you know, tried to bring him in to Toronto a couple of years ago. And then for whatever reason, it, it wasn't able to, to, to come to fruition around trade deadline time. Um, but the Maple Leafs finally got their guy. You know, though, just as, as a quick aside, one of the names that I was told to pay attention to, this was a, a Friday text, was um, Josh Bailey. Mm. That there could be some interest there from the Maple Have you heard anything right now? You know, we'll have a look what that, that fourth-line center hole looks like, and we know how it ended with, uh, with the New York Islanders and all the, uh, all the scratches, et cetera. Have you heard Bailey's name bandied about much? Just from you, uh, I think I think I heard your report, uh, but I, I, otherwise I haven't. But it, it's an interesting one that's still out there, right? And one of the few forwards who does yeah. have the his, history of scoring, like scoring's at such a premium. Uh, you have to to wonder where where is going to land. I mean, basically, Lou Lamorello 
loved his whole team except for Josh Bailey. Brought them all back. Seven-year deals for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so a bit, a bit of a strange one. So he's still on the open market. You you know, he, he has such a history with the Islanders that it's probably hard for him to go out this way as a buyout. Like, it's, it's very embarrassing, right, for proud athletes. So I, I would love to see sure. him back in the game with a different team, rejuvenated, and, and he'd have something to prove. Uh, John Klingberg, uh, it's a one-year deal. It's four point one five million dollars for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I, I look at, I look at the Klingberg signing one very specific way. The Maple Leafs need defensemen that can get the puck out. You know, regardless of you know piling up points and power play and all these types of things. I looked at that one. I said that's a concession to the Maple Leafs had a hard time shuttling the puck out of their own zone. Thoughts? Yeah, it's. Uh... It's Morgan Riley, and then it, it's a bit of a drop-off from there, right? Timothy Lilligren is coming on. He's emerging. I really liked his regular season, but then he was scratched for a chunk of, of the playoffs. Uh, Mark Giordano, yeah. love the guy, love the player, but it's, it's no secret that, you know, he's, he's losing a step. Oldest skater in the league. Uh, so the Leafs, for all their reputation as this high-octane offense, none of that offense, yeah. or barely any of it, was coming from the back end. And that was a problem. I remember, you know, going to, to press conferences and Sheldon Keefe would, would get really excited about talking about how the Predators generated uh, offense from the back end, how the Avalanche were fantastic about generating offense from the back end. The Leafs didn't really have that much of it. Lilligren was the highest scoring Leafs defenseman, and he had six goals. So automatically, you make an upgrade there in terms of the offensive defenseman. A uh, bit of a gamble, but it's only one year. Uh, my big question with this is how are the pieces all going to fit? I think in a perfect world, you find uh, a right shot top four guy to play with Morgan Riley. Um, right now, you, you probably slot TJ Brody in that spot, but I'd rather see Brody with, with Klingberg because I don't think you can play Klingberg and Riley together. That's, that's a little too much risk. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, in a, I like Jake McCabe on my third pair in a perfect world. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sold on the mix of defensemen yet, but Trey Living I don't think is done. He is. He, I think he wants a bit more physicality back there. We know he loves like a Chris Tanev uh, as a door off. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a summertime trade to be made. Is that trade with William Nylander? <laughs> That's the million dollar question, right? Or the ten million dollar question? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, oh, the nine the nine million dollar question. If you believe yeah. what he's asking for, yeah. Well, yeah. We, it, all we know is there's a massive gap, and there's no deadline on yeah. Nylander's part, right? He he could no. his de- his None. deadline is is next July one, so it it, it puts a, all the pressure on the team. Do you want? Do you risk? walking him to free agency or walking him into the season with all those questions swirling. Cause right now he's a bargain and there is some value in this one year. Like every year is a chance to win the cup in this window when Matthews, Martin, Nylander are in the prime and you have them for this year. Do you, is that worth it enough to just take the risk and see if you can't come to terms eventually, or is your history with a Lewis gross and B Johnny Goudreau, and Nylander's agent is the same man. Is it so uh, nightmarish mm-hmm. that you cannot fathom walking this guy out the door and getting burned again with no return? And do you have to make a trade? 
And I think if you do make a trade, it's got to be for the back end at this point. Is it for the back end or is it for the future? You know, I was exchanging texts with someone this morning who said, you know, that this Nylander deal to me, considering, you know, the, the cap flexibility that, that tree living may need here to me feels like the Kevin Fiala deal, you know, the first round pick and the, the elite level prospect that would have been Brock Faber who looked really good on that, on that, on that Minnesota back end. Um, if they do move Nylander, do you think it's players need to come in right away or this is a wink to the future? Well, it could, could it not be both? Could it not be a, a player that comes in right away that maybe is a bit younger and has some, some term and, and the future is still ahead of him? I don't know if you want like a, a long shot prospect of just picks. I mean, I guess there's a way you, you do multiple moves and it ends up paying off. But I, I, I think you got to, you know, you, you just signed three guys to one-year deals. You're going for it this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at those. Um, one, one, one final thought here on the uh, the Bertuzzi Domi situation, and you know, we we all wonder about the left side. And I mentioned, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, playing with with Matthews and Marner it is not the ultimate wild card here. Not who they signed, but Matthew Nyes instead. Yeah, that yeah. Ma- Matthew Nyes may just decide where everybody plays based on what he can do next season. Yeah, and the coach loves him. So I, I think it's on the player. It's like, you know, it's one thing to, to play a few games when you're still riding the high of a fantastic college season and your first NHL playoffs and you're all wide-eyed and, and eager to prove yourself. It's another thing when you're playing 82 games and you're on on the plane, on the bus, and every every other day you're playing. That's a totally different lifestyle, right, in the college lifestyle. So how does he yep. hold up to, to the rigors of that? Um, is he sheltered a little bit and plays on the third line and his minutes managed because uh, it, it's he's in for the marathon of his life. But absolutely, I mean, there's going to be so much hype around this guy. He showed so well in the playoffs uh, before Sam Bennett, you know, pulled him apart there. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, he's a wild card, and the spot is there for him to take it. And to a lesser extent, uh, you know, I've been wondering about a healthy Nick Robertson. You know, because the Leafs are so tight to the cap, mm. does he get an does he get another opportunity, right, to just try and and I mean he's had a, he's had a couple, but if he can stay healthy, is this an opportunity because he's cap friendly, uh, you know, to stick around and make an impact? Because they're going to need someone, whether but uh, beyond nice, whether it's Robertson, whether it's Bobby McMahon, they they need some some people to come up from the Marlies and actually yeah. stick. They do. Um, listen, Luke, great job all season long. Thanks so much for, for doing this today. Much appreciated. I know the, uh, the the hockey days are winding down as we all have, you know, sun, beach, and cottages uh, on the horizon for us. Thanks, as always, for, for always answering the call when we called you. And uh, we will catch up, uh, I, think, I guess, at the beginning of next season. All right. Perfect, Jeff. Have a good summer. You as well. There he is, uh, Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca covering the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I don't think Brad Living is quite done here, folks. There's still more on the horizon. There's still the goaltending issue. Uh, we still wonder about uh, Matt Murray um, and his health situation. I I do wonder, though, the, 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 the deeper that free agency goes here and the more that Living makes moves, is that an indication that maybe Matt Murray is still not healthy enough to go or come close to even contemplating uh, going next year. We shall see. Still a lot of 
Still plenty of question marks around the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs team, as there are question marks around uh, a lot of NHL teams, and many of them right here in Canada, whether it's the Winnipeg Jets and all the moves on the horizon for Kevin Dayoff, and they just pulled the big one with Pierre-Luc Dubois going to the Los Angeles Kings uh, with, you know, Gabe Velarde. Uh, being one of the, the, the key return pieces there, to say nothing of Alex Iafalo. Um Listen, the Calgary Flames have decisions to make as well. Um, Craig Conroy had a really nice draft, uh, and now it's time to roll up the sleeves here, figure out who's staying, figure out who's going, uh, who's going to wear the C. Um, and the Vancouver Canucks continue, and their blue line looks a lot different after a couple of their moves. By the way, I, I do think very quietly, albeit except for in the local market, that Carson Soucy deal is a really nice one. I, I have all the time in the world for Carson Soucy. Thought he was and has been for a few years, been one of the best kept, you know, bottom pairing defensemen uh, in the NHL. Uh, I think that's a, an absolute home run deal for the Vancouver Canucks. And that blue line looks a lot different now. And I think we wonder about Elias Pettersson and a contract extension there. And also, July 1st is come and gone. That means JT Miller has trade protection. Will it calm everyone down about JT Miller talk? Maybe, if only just a little bit. <laughs> we know how those conversations go. Matt Marchese back here uh, uh, aboard. When, when you look at the, um, the Canadian teams right now, and listen, pretty quiet weekend for the Montreal Canadiens, um, but, you know, the Ottawa Senators made some moves. Toronto made some moves. Uh, Winnipeg has already made their moves, and you know they they brought in a couple of netminders as well. Uh, Calgary's pretty quiet right now. You know there's some big moves on the horizon. Connor Brown goes into Edmonton um, on a on a bonus laden contract. I just mentioned what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks. Who of the uh, Canadian teams, Maddie, did you look at and say, hmm, that's kind of interesting? I, I thought the Corpusalo move by Ottawa was interesting. I I was wondering about okay. how they would get a goaltender. I wondered, I wondered about maybe if that was going to be something that they were looking for in return for Alex DeBrinket because there's still that on the horizon. Um, I, I wondered about Eric Carlson with Ottawa as well, uh, and and as you're as you're saying, it looks like it's a two team race now. But Ottawa is in yeah. a position when we look at, at what they've built, you know, they're they're gonna hopefully get a, a healthy Josh Norris back. You got Brady Kachuk another year older. You've got um uh, Drake Batherson vastly improved. They still have Claude Giroux there. And that defense with Thomas Shabbat and Jake Sanderson, who is, you know, he's he's certainly looking like he's going to be a star to go yeah, along with Jacob really Chikrin. I mean, the Ottawa Senators if we get to see the same Jonas Corposalo that we saw play with L.A. last year, the Ottawa Senators are going to be a very, very interesting team. And with new ownership there, they may end up being one of those teams that we look at as like, okay, they're gonna, they're maybe going to make a splash because they also have a pretty decent prospect pool and some young players that they could deal to bring in another star. I'm very curious to see what Ottawa is going to do here. Yeah, they, they, they really do. The, the Corpus Allo one, the Corpus Allo situation is an interesting one. There was a game in the middle of December. I want to say it was it was either against Buffalo or Winnipeg. And it was like after that game, all of a sudden, 
You know, it was like uh, Corpus Allo had bathed in holy water and he was all healed and the hip was fine again. And all of a sudden, this became that Corpus Allo that, you know, we all, you know, he became bubble Corpus Allo is what it was. Maple Leafs fans will get that reference. We talk about bubble Demko with the Vancouver Canucks. He was bubble Corpus Allo for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it was both the the standard, you know, save percentage type numbers and all the underlying numbers as well um, that everybody started to pay attention to after a couple of months leading into the trade deadline when everybody started to notice, you know, that, you know, over the last couple of months after the middle of December, uh, Jonas Corposalo's numbers were top 10, in some cases top five in the NHL. Uh, so I'm thrilled for the guy because there was a time there where remember they tried, they could barely even give him away to Edmonton two years ago when Edmonton was going through their, you know, major goalie crunch. Um, they couldn't do a deal with the Edmonton Oilers for a couple of picks. And now all of a sudden he's turned that into a multi-year deal with the Ottawa Senators and provided Anton Forsberg is healthy enough. That's going to be the battery there. And we'll see what happens when new ownership comes in as well. But it's been a revolving door of goaltenders for a number of years for the Ottawa Senators. You hope, you hope that the uh, the 29-year-old Jonas Corposalo can quiet things down and he can actually be the guy uh, for a number of years for the Ottawa Senators. Because to your point, Maddie, like they're they're pretty much set at all the positions now. Like yeah, they look really ju- good. And there's going to be some players, young players that they graduate in. Like Ridley Gregg, I think, is going to be a really good, you know, really good, tough winger uh, for this team. I, I have a lot of time for, for Ridley Gregg. Um, I think a lot of us do. And, you know, you just mentioned the blue line and what that looks like. And, oh, man, like this is this is going to be a good-looking team. There's, there's going to be an interesting, an interesting battle here between Buffalo and Detroit and Ottawa to see if anyone can jump up and grab one of those playoff spots. Buffalo's moved things along. Buffalo went out and addressed their biggest need, which is help on the blue line. And it started with, uh, with signing Eric Johnson on, uh, on free agency. Um, but that wasn't all. Like Going into this free agency, we looked at it and said, okay, the Buffalo Sabres need to take some heat off the young defenseman. And all of a sudden, it's not just Eric Johnson, but it's Connor Clifton. They added some goaltending depth with Dustin Tokarski which leads me to believe that Devin Levi and Ukapakalukanen are going to be the two, and maybe they try to sneak Eric Comrie down or try to move Eric Comrie. But that's going to be a fascinating race, and Ottawa's right there with it. If someone falls out of it in the Eastern Conference, specifically the Atlantic, which of those teams, Maddie, can take that spot? Yeah. Now, I, 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 lean, I lean Buffalo just because we saw them down the stretch. They played really well. Um, but Ottawa, again, maybe Ottawa, if they had some goaltending, and, I mean, what did they go through, like seven goalies last year? Um, if Ottawa had any sort of goaltending last year consistently, they may have been in that conversation regardless. So I, I think what's really interesting in all of this, and I know we got to hit a break here, but you talk about the Atlantic, and, you know, we've talked about rivalries in in this sport and how there is a need for them. I think with the improvement of Ottawa, the improvement of Buffalo and the nastiness that that Boston has acquired when you look at you know Toronto Maple Leaf rivalry specifically and how you know there were some really good ones with Ottawa and Boston and Buffalo those feel like they're going to start to come back here a little bit yeah QEW series give it to me all over again uh, but make it like back in the days of the 70s when it was like Sittler versus the French Connection that's ah, that's the good stuff right there Maddie. 
I know I'm dating myself. Let's uh, hit a break. Corey Lavalette stops by from the uh, from the Athletic. We'll talk about the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, what they've done, uh, where they're headed, who they're involved in, and what the future of this Canes team is going to look like. Stanley Cup contender at all. Oh, and by the way, when we should expect officially the Sebastian Ajo contract. Oh, one, one quick final wrap-up. I want to get to this on Luke. I believe that the Maple Leafs, they have one coaching spot available. Uh, I believe that the there's at least two people that they are either talking to or going to talk to. I think Todd Nelson is one of them from the, the Hershey Bears, Calder Cup champions, and the other is Mike Van Ryan. Uh, those are the two names that I've heard attached to that one, so we'll see where that goes. Corey Lavalette coming up in a couple of moments. Uh, Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet Now, back in a moment. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, one of the teams that we looked at going into free agency were the Carolina Hurricanes and said, okay, this is a team that could win the Stanley Cup next season. Felt that way about them this past year as well. Um, what will Don Waddell have up his sleeve? Well, Inter Bunting, Inter Orloff, uh, re-signed the two goaltenders, and Fast is back, so that awesome line. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the best in its position in the NHL is, uh, is reunited, and... There is still the Eric Carlson talk that is out there, and we wonder, can Eric Carlson and Brent Burns exist on the same blue line? Uh, for comments on these and other stories is our good friend Corey Lavalette from The Athletic. Corey, how are you today? Doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am good. Um, did anything raise your eyebrows around the uh, the team that uh, that you cover on a consistent basis, the Carolina Hurricanes, over the weekend? I think a lot of people looked at the uh, Dimitri Orloff signing and said, $15.5 million is a lot of money. I, I mean, I think first off, we were just all surprised that they kind of dipped their toe into the first day of free agency. It's not something... You know, they've normally done. Yeah. That's not their MO. Um, but to your point, um, they don't mind spending the money. It's the term that scares them off a lot. And they've got Dmitry Orlov for two years, uh, and they happen to have another Russian left-handed defenseman who could be coming stateside in two years. So the timing on that perhaps fits pretty well in, in Alexander Nikishin. Uh And then they get Michael Bunting for three years. So they didn't have to give out six, seven, eight-year deals on uh, on players in their late 20s or early 30s to, to get these deals done. And I think that that's just so key for them is, is to keep that cap flexibility. Uh, you know, we saw how valuable it was just, just in getting these two guys. You know, let, let me let me back up there because you mentioned Alex Nikishin's uh, name a, a couple of seconds ago, and he's on the horizon for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, it seemed as if you know this year specifically, all of a sudden, a lot of talk around prospects in Carolina. You know, this guy like zipped up to the to the to the top of that ladder. Uh, and I know we still under contract in the KHL for a couple of seasons here, but from your either viewings or conversations around the Carolina Hurricanes, what is the expectation for uh, for Nikishin? I mean, from what I've heard, they believe he could play in the in a top four and on an NHL team like right now. Uh, that he's that good, yeah. uh, and you know he was always uh, 
physical and good defensively, and then this year he just blossomed offensively in the KHL. Um, you know, was argu- he, he's arguably the best defenseman. You know, not not playing in the uh, in North America right now, I think, and uh, just immensely talented and tough, and you know, brings an element that maybe they haven't had. Hmm. You know, speaking of, I want to jump right to it. Speaking of defensemen in Carolina, um, it sounds like it's down to the Carolina Hurricanes and the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, who, if anyone, because there's no guarantee that San Jose moves them, gets Eric Carlson. What are the whispers around Raleigh? Yeah, I mean, I hear they're they're in on it. This isn't a, a mirage. You know, we we know they like to be in on everything on some level, right? They they always want to have. Yes. Uh, have a line in on anything that's out there. They don't want to be left wondering what if, um, but they're pushing hard for it. And, you know, I joked on Twitter, you know, maybe they're going to play 10 and eight this year. They'll just run out, <laughs> run out 10 <laughs> forwards and eight defensemen. And um, cause <laughs> from what I understand, the, yep. the Tony D'Angelo, the Tony D'Angelo thing is still going to happen too. So, um, you know, yes. if this does yes. happen, then obvious, obviously there's, there's, somebody's moving out, right? I think somebody's going to move out anyway with the Angelo edition expected. Um, but man, oh man, I mean, has a better NHL defense ever been put together uh, than one that has Jacob Slavin, Brent Burns, Dmitry Orloff, and Eric Carlson on it, and then take your pick of, of everyone else, you know, who stays and who goes. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin on something like that. Well, how about this one then? You know, and I think we all fully expect on July the 9th that Philadelphia-Carolina deal to be be consummated. They had to wait one year out uh, from the original deal because there's going to be retention. The Philadelphia Flyers are holding half of Tony D'Angelo's money here. Uh, So that's going to happen on on July the 9th. So, you know, we wonder, to your point, um, there's a lot of defensemen here. We haven't even mentioned, you know, Jalen Chatfield, for example, and how much are we going to see of Dylan Coughlin um, next season if, if he resigns? He has arbitration rights. You know, uh, we wonder about Brady Shea. Uh, we wonder about Brett Pesci. Uh, they both have one year left uh, on term. Shea has the, the modified no trade. Brett Pesci, I believe, is free and clear. Uh, how do you see mm-hmm. that scenario play itself out if, slash when Tony D'Angelo joins the mix and there's still the, the conversation about Eric Carlson. Yeah, you know, I think even if the Eric Carlson thing doesn't come to fruition, that there's probably going to be one guy moved out. There's just not there's not enough room, right? Jalen Chatfield is an NHL defenseman. There's no doubt about it. And they even feel, you know, he could play in the top four. Uh, so if they were to move somebody like Brett Pesci, they're comfortable, uh, you know, having Jalen Chatfield yeah. jump up into that role. Um, but you've got a whole, you know, a whole lot of decisions to make on the left side if it's Brett Pesci who moves out, because now all of a sudden you've got Jacob Slavin, Dmitry Orloff, and, and Brady Shea on the left side. And uh, I know Orloff played a little bit on the right uh, when he first moved over to Boston, then got got moved over to the left. But um, yeah, you know, I mm-hmm. think somebody somebody's going to go. And if Eric Carlson comes in, I mean, who knows? Maybe you can find a team that needs a ready-made second pairing, and you could you could trade both Brett Pesci and, and Brady Shea <laughs> together. And, uh, you know, those two guys are great friends on top of being great partners, um, so it, it's going to be tough for them either way. I think if one of them one of them gets moved out, but I don't know how you can, uh, you know, not take a run at Eric Carlson if, if, if you think you have a real shot at getting him. 
the 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 thing that I the thing that I wonder about well I wonder about a few things with Carlson one how much money is San Jose willing to eat um, on the deal but two if it ends up being Eric Carlson in Carolina you know last time I I checked and I should probably check with the league at the beginning of this week here to make sure that I didn't miss a rule change but there's only one puck on the ice during the power play and it didn't work in San Jose with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Um, I see no reason to believe that it would work in Carolina. Like, I, I do wonder, like, if if San Jose and Carolina end up getting together to do this deal, does that mean that Burns goes back to San Jose? Could that be possible? You know, I think the, the, the bigger thing to me would be is, you know, the power play didn't improve that much last season with the addition of Brent Burns. Now, Brent Burns had a really good season, and he found a good – a good partner in Jacob Slavin, but maybe they feel like, you know, Brent Burns could benefit from being on a second power play unit instead of a first power play unit. Um, but to your point, you know, there, there's even strength minutes to go around too. And uh, there's not a whole lot of them when you have this many guys who, who surely want to play, you know, and Dmitry Orloff's even an option on the power mm-hmm. play, though. I don't think that's his, his bread and butter. Um, you know, I, they love Brent Burns so much and, you know, Rod Brindamore, but that's his kind of guy, that a guy that just works hard all the time and wants to win. I don't see see them, you know, parting ways with him either, but yeah. you're right. Like, does it, do they work together? I think, um, you know, Rod's really good at, at meshing teams together. And I think, uh, I don't think there'll be uh, any problems with, with egos and guys worrying about their roles. If the end goal is, Hey, we want to win a Stanley cup. And we're talking about a bunch of guys who haven't won one. Mm. Um, how do you see the goaltending play itself out? Like I, I was very much of the mind that Carolina was going to choose one of the two, either Anderson or, or Ranta. And that's who they're going to bring back because Kachetkov needs to play in the NHL. And then Saturday happened and both goaltenders came back, giving them three on one-way contracts. How does the goaltending situation play itself out, or do we just look at this and say, Merrick, you're fooling yourself if you think those two starting goaltenders are both staying healthy all year? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. And the other the other big factor in this is the Hurricanes aren't going to have an AHL affiliate this year. So, you know, even if you say, you know, Pyotr Kachekov is is – you know, waivers exempt. You can move them up and down as you want, but do you really want to send them to an AHL team? Um, you know that that really doesn't have a have any skin in the game as far as what his development is. So, um, yep. you know, it could be that they carry three guys. The, the the other problem with that, with not having an AHL team, is you need to have three goalies. And how are you going to have one? How are you going to have a guy you can trust as your number three uh, if you don't have an AHL team to put him on? You know, that's a tough situation. So I think that's probably the thinking here is, all right, now you have three guys. And if you have to carry all three, it's not the end of the world. It's not yeah. ideal. Nobody nobody loves to carry three goalies. Uh, and Don Waddell told me, um, you know, the other day that, it, you know, if we have to – he's got some, some leads on places he can, he can place players for this year. And if you have to send Pyotr Kachekov down to play a few games just to, to keep him fresh or whatever – then you do that. But if he's outplaying Antti Ranta or if he's outplaying both of them, you know, there's no harm in, yeah. you know, having Antti Ranta be a healthy scratch for, for a week or something. And, you know, he may benefit from it. And uh, all those guys get along pretty well. And I think, uh, again, to my point earlier, you know, the bigger goal is 
know, can you get a Stanley Cup? And, you know, Auntie Ranta kind of has one. <laughs> doesn't have his name on it. It has a ring. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that you kind of go to the uh, – the, the hot fuzz, you know, that movie, that great movie, you know, the, the greater good, right? <laughs> yes. So, he, he, okay, so here, here's the other question. So as we're having this conversation, it is 149 Eastern on Monday, July the 3rd. Um, do we expect the Sebastian Ajo contract extension to come out in 11 minutes or do we wait later on this afternoon? Yeah, I think it, you know it's coming. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, you know, that's their guy. That's the guy they feel like is the, you know, is the yeah. centerpiece player on this team. So they're not going to let him get away. I know everybody, you know, got worried last time around with the offer sheet and all that. But uh, by all accounts, the uh, the negotiations have been fine. And um, again, I mean, a lot of this goes back to Rod Brindamore and the way the players respect him um, and he and Sebastian have a great relationship and he's really helped cultivate, you know, Sebastian into a great two-way player. So I, I don't think there's any concerns about it. And the good news for Carolina is you're not talking a gigantic raise here. It's not like when he gets this new contract, it's going to shatter their cap yeah. situation. You know, maybe it's an extra million, million and a half, maybe 2 million, but I, I wouldn't think so. And, um, yeah. You know, you're not you're not busting you're not busting the bank to do it. Yeah, I it, I I think this one's in the high nines, is what it is what it feels like to me. We'll 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 see where it ends up. Um, finally, maybe the maybe my favorite signing um, by the Hurricanes was re-upping Jesper Fast, just to to reunite one of the best third lines uh, in the entire NHL with him and Stahl and Martinook. I know Stahl had to, to re-up to, to get back there. Do you, have a, do you have a thought on either the fast signing or the, the Michael Bunting signing? He comes in three years, 4.5. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, keeping Jesper fast is great. And Jordan Stahl, you know, they get both those done and they get them, you know, they, yeah. the, guys they, the guys they re-signed, they signed for less money than they had previously. You know, they saved more than $3 million when you, you know, consider, you know, Stahl fast. Uh, and the two goalies. So that, that's pretty good work right there. Um, yeah, that line's great. And, you know, part of me looks at these forwards and says, you know, if if the Carlson thing doesn't happen and a defenseman gets moved out, maybe for another forward, is that Jordan Stahl line now more of a, a fourth line? You know, right now, Table Terrifying is probably a fourth liner on this team if we consider, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that Jordan yeah. Stahl line, a third line. Um, as for Michael Bunting, I mean, him and Orloff, you know, they wanted to get harder to play against, and I think you do with both those guys. And they've needed this kind of uh, agitator type. They really haven't They haven't had one. You know, they've had guys who've been physical, like Michael Furland. Uh, they had Max Domi for a spell, but, you know, that's not really, a, you know, playoff time is yep. not the time necessarily to do that. But uh, they've need needed somebody like this, and I think uh, – it could be really good for them. The closest thing, in my opinion, they've had to that was, was Justin Williams, who's not really an agitator, but he's also the kind of guy who will, you know, get in the guy's face and laugh at him. <laughs> so uh, I, think, I think that's a really fun addition for this team. And it, uh, it, maybe it takes the heat off of Andre Svechnikov a little bit as far as the attention he draws from officials and things like that. If Michael Bunting's out there, running around, running his mouth and whatnot. Maybe Andrei Svechnikov doesn't get called for as many penalties for, for just being a, a kind of a mm. physical force out there. 
Yeah, keep Sveshnikov healthy. Keep him on the ice. I keep saying that guy is should be in the Rocket Richard conversation every year uh, with how good he is and how great that shot is. Uh, listen, Corey, I want to thank you for coming on the program all season long. Every time we call, you show up. You're the best man. We uh, we really appreciate it here. Uh, I know you still have work to do. There's still more signings, and whether it's Aho or, or other players on the horizon uh, for the Avalanche. Thanks so much from our little corner here of the, the hockey universe. You've, you've always been solid with us. Thanks for, for having a great season with us. Hey, I always love being on, Jeff. Thanks for having me. The great Corey Lavalette covers the uh, Carolina Hurricanes uh, for the Athletic. And, yeah, there is still more deals on the horizon here uh, for the Hurricanes, including maybe a big one with Eric Carlson. Um, okay, so that wraps up this edition. So what we wanted to do was do two shows post uh, free agent window opening. Uh, so this was a sort of first stab at what we've seen. I know we kind of went shotgun style on you a little bit here today, and we'll, to be fully honest, we'll probably do the same again tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the last show uh, of the season. We should probably park some time to talk about the, uh, the Stanley Cup finalists, Florida Panthers. Uh, and what happened with them exiting Ad Radko Gudis and trading Anthony DeClaire and bringing in a, uh, I'll be honest with you, a pretty interesting, I don't know, better mix uh, on that team. But uh, we shall see what happens with the Panthers. We'll park some time to talk about the Avs and the Dallas Stars and probably the Vegas Golden Knights, even though they were relatively quiet. I mean, their big one was Ivan Barbashev at five times five. Uh, Connor Lamont, thank you so much for helping out. Uh, Jen Rolnick, as always, and our producer, Matt Marchese, back tomorrow.